True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here today with Anton Motley from Peak Financing. Anton, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm grateful you came on the show and, you know, lending, financing, getting money for our properties is something that we normally talk about uh, going into a deal, of course, right? We need money for our deals. But, you know, today you and I are going to talk about what have, how you can help me as I own my deal, as we prepare for refinances, as we prepare for selling. Um, not, I think, spoken about enough and something that I'm personally going through on a few of our properties right now. So I definitely want to get into all of that with you. But first, Anton, give us a little bit of an overview on, on who you are and, and what your company does. Sure. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Peak Financing. We arrange financing for commercial real estate with a strong focus on multifamily properties. And within that segment, we focus primarily on the, as we call it, the middle market segment, which typically includes property from 2 million in asset value up to around 50 million. Above that, it's mostly institutional players that have their own in-house staff that do exactly what we do when we help our clients. So that's our focus. Uh, uh, I'm based in Dallas, Texas, but we help uh, borrowers all across the country. Uh, that strange accent, even though I'm based in Dallas, is from Switzerland. I was born in Switzerland. Uh, right after school, I joined the investment bank, uh, worked for UBS in New York, uh, Tokyo and Hong Kong. And after I left banking and helped family offices with, with their direct investments, including commercial real estate, which really was the reason why it brought me back to, to the U.S. And uh, that's why we are based here in Texas. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Um, so you, you mentioned the middle market, $2 million in property value, right? Asset value to, you said, $50 million. Roughly, um, yes. Roughly. Okay. And nationwide, right? Yes. Okay. Wow. Um, so how does, you know, take me through an example of, you know, from before the deal through, you know, how do I, I need a loan. I, I've identified a property. When do I call you? Should I call you before I have the property? Like how does the process work? What is the best way for me as an operator, as an apartment buyer to work with, with someone like you? Yes. Uh, so I think it's important, right, uh, that you realize as a buyer, uh, whatever you receive up front is just the beginning of, of your whole path of ownership. And you want to prepare yourself in the proper fashion. And as you know, you need to raise equity uh, to get the deal done unless you bring all of it by yourself. But even if you bring it yourself, you need to be acutely aware of what the debt side is going to look like because it, it is going to impact your returns. So the first step really is, is once you realize this is a good deal, I think I want to make a run for it. 
typically, you already have your debt assumptions made well ahead of time when you do your initial underwriting. What we recommend is once you say, this is a good deal, I think I want to make a run for it, that you reach out to us so that we can validate with you your debt assumptions so that you are confident when you submit that LOI that what you think you can get in debt and all the various terms of that debt piece that it's actually achievable. Not that you are already make the wrong assumptions and then you have to readjust later on once you have assigned PSA and potentially have to retrade, right? And as you know, retrading is is a big no unless there are hidden issues, right? Yeah. With the property. So that's why we recommend to start out before you submit an LOI that you get that level of confidence. Okay, so so I've identified a property that I like. Now, as you know, uh, things move, tend to move pretty quickly in that that sort of phase of from finding the property to getting it under contract. I always feel like it's a mad dash. It's a sprint, right? So we're sprinting in a hundred different directions to try to be the one that can can validate our assumptions, can make sure the property itself is good, the area is good, and that uh, financing uh, can can take on this property. So how so I, I send you some information. What information do I have to send you um, so that you can give me good confidence in the debt terms that I might be able to get? Yeah, sure. Uh, it depends a little bit whether it's a stabilized property or non-stabilized okay. property. If it's a stabilized property, all what you really need is a T12 and the rent roll at the property level. If it's an official listing, the offering memorandum helps, but it's not really necessary. Uh, that's on at the property level. Obviously, if you are new in a relationship, you also would need to see your bio. We need to see the PFS and the REO schedule of all the partners that are ultimately KPs and guaranteeing the loan. Uh, so that's uh, all what we would need. If it's a distressed or non-stabilized asset, we also would need your CapEx budget as well as your three-year performer because then we are not only looking at how well the property cash flows currently, but how well it would potentially cash flow once it's fully stabilized. So we need to underwrite that bridge loan or whatever other loan it might be to that exit in three years from now. Got it. So you can help me find a bridge or a stabilized agency type loan. That's right. Yes. Excellent. Okay, great. Um, so the T12 obviously being most important, you know, we get um, we get financials from the brokers, of course, we get we have our own underwriting and somewhere in the middle is the truth usually. So yeah. what what is it that you're looking at when I send you a T12 or, or a broker's OM that um, you're probably going to start ripping apart and, and what should I be concerned of when I'm looking at those numbers? Uh, we've, we look uh, at the most recent three months of rent collections, the closest on the income side. Obviously, we look at T12 at the last 12 months of order income. So, but the last three months of, order, of rental income is really the crucial piece. And then we also ripped, uh, uh, as you called it, the expenses apart, right? So whatever the broker is telling uh, us and the buyers on in their OM doesn't really matter, uh, particularly in markets like uh, Texas and some others where property taxes tend to increase significantly once you buy a property. So we essentially normalize the expenses uh, to what we believe 
a lender and really behind the lender, the appraiser will underwrite too, right? What people do not understand is that a lender can come up with any type of expense underwriting. Ultimately, it's the appraiser that has to agree to it, right? The, the, the appraiser is essentially the independent party that makes sure that uh, the lender is not just randomly underwriting, but to, to realistic numbers. So that's the that's really the, the important part. What we also look at that, particularly again, when it comes to rental income, uh, negative trends, how does that look like uh, compared to, to the rent roll? Uh, and particularly over the last few months, we have seen major movements and collections. Mm-hmm. We want to see the most recent uh, T12 and most recent rent roll, right? We see still, unfortunately, deals that have outdated T12, outdated rent rolls that are maybe two months old. It's very hard to underwrite to this because we really want to give you confidence that the property strength is still in the right direction. So we can quote you any time based on any T12 and rent roll, but it doesn't really help you as a buyer if you do not really have confidence that that trend of T12 income and rent roll performance continues. Got it, got it. How how have things changed over the last uh, 12 months with with COVID-19? Um, we're recording this here in early 2021, so we're just about a year into um, this pandemic. What you know, I know in the beginning, um, basically no, nobody was lending for for a brief period, and then things started to open up again. But how has that changed your underwriting and what you guys are looking for in a property? Uh, the underwriting really hasn't changed that much, okay. other than what I have mentioned before that there is a much uh, tighter focus on updated financials. Got it. And we essentially ask for rent rolls after you apply for that loan and update the collections virtually every one or two weeks, right? So it's a very close focus on what is the current performance at the property. So that really, that's what has changed at the underwriting level. Uh, at the loans, on the loan side, anyone who has been in multifamily and has done deals as an investor or as a sponsor, uh, obviously has heard about uh, uh, principal and interest escrowing that, uh, that the lenders, particularly agency lenders, uh, demand. Uh, initially, it included everything in the kitchen sink, including taxes and insurance, but that went away very quickly. But we still have, uh, as many of you know, it's it's uh, for a full leverage loan, it's anywhere from nine months to 18 months of principal mm-hmm. and interest that needs to go into escrow. And I do not really foresee that that goes away that soon. Yes, we have vaccinations that have now have been rolled out. But I think all the agencies and other lenders, it's not just the agencies, but certainly they are at the forefront of it. They will take a, a, a cautious approach before they are reducing the, those uh, escrow requirements. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, we're seeing that as well on, on our projects. Makes sense. Um, how do we factor in, I guess we'll call it the sporadic income that that I'm seeing on our properties that comes with... Um, the various state agencies. So we're seeing, you know, North Carolina just relax, relax some of their um, requirements around the HOPE program. So 
all of a sudden, you know, we're able to get $20,000 in, in back rent, you know, this month for the last four months, right, from a few tenants. So how do you factor that in, you know, this sort of up and down sporadic, the higher delinquency, but then maybe a big chunk of money coming in on a random month? Yeah, if, if you have these spikes, right, essentially you've, uh, you have written off uh, X amount of, uh, of, of rent collections, right? It showed up as bad that, so initially over the last few months, uh, we assume in that case that you had an increased bad that, mm-hmm. and now you are essentially recovering it, right? So that's, depending on how you accounted for it, that's really how it should show up on, on, on your financials. We look at it and we normalize it, right? Got so it. we look look at it. Okay, what uh, what have you recovered? So maybe we have applied a much higher bad debt factor before. So now we can reduce it because we know now you are essentially you have reduced your accounts payable on the on on the tenant side significantly, and that's only fair to account for. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Since we're on the topic of normalizing, I have a personal question because we, um, we're in the middle of a refinance and I want to transition more now towards after the close and how we can work together. But um, we're, we're, we're in the middle, uh, well, actually we're in the, we've been working with our lender. We've been talking about a refinance for a while and our numbers, October, November, December, were trending great. Um, one of the great things that our property manager does is heavily incentivizes our managers um, and maintenance staff for high collections, high occupancy, making those properties profitable. Um, but now in January is when I have to pay for that incentive. And so I have a huge bonus expense uh, in my January numbers, like to the tune of like $17,000 on one of our properties, um, which takes our NOI from like maybe 75,000 a month to now we're in like 57,000 a month. Right. So are you able to normalize that as well? Is that something that you see as being earned throughout the year or does that really hurt my my one month NOI? Yes, so, so we really look at uh, the, the income side and the expense side in a, in a different fashion, right? Okay. Uh, uh, similar as for an acquisition when it comes to rental income, the last three months are really the main driver okay. uh, f- uh, that, that flow into that NOI. On other income, it's still the last 12 months, right? Because you have, particularly with uh, when you have utility reimbursements and all that, they fluctuate as well as some other income that fluctuates. So that's why it's typically looked at on the T12 basis rather than just the last three months. And when it comes to the expenses, they're also looked at uh, at the T12 basis, not a T3, but for the full last year. So if you have that bonus that you're paying, obviously your payroll cost in a single month will, will spike, but it's really the last 12 months, it's averaged over the last 12 months what, what matters there. Got it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, so we've, you got me a great loan. I've closed on the property. Um, I say goodbye and never talk to you again. Right? No, we, uh, <laughs> I want to keep talking to you. How, um, how can you help me through the ongoing ownership of the property? How should we be talking? Should we never talk? Um, and, you know, obviously at some point, especially if it's a bridge loan, we'll be looking for a refinance. Um, just talk about how, how you can help someone that owns a property, an operator, 
um, just think about things and, and look at the numbers as, as we move through the ownership of the property. Yes. Uh, so if, if you have a bridge loan, then it's, it's already a given that we continue to talk, right? Uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. More likely than not, uh, you will have some, some issues with the servicer to, to draw from funds when you write with what? a bridge loan. <laughs> you, you, have, uh, you obviously have some funds in escrow, right? Uh, that, that can be drawn from, or if it's not a pre-funded loan, then you still, in order to increase that loan balance, you still need to put in the requests. And uh, you as an asset manager, you know, very often a lender may not like uh, exactly what you submitted to release those funds. Uh, so more likely than not, we will get involved at some point in just helping to get these funds released. Uh, what is equally important is, uh, particularly with a bridge loan, but even if it's not a bridge loan, to prepare yourself for that refinancing ahead of time, right? Because uh, a permanent lender, as I mentioned before, looks at your expenses over the last 12 months, not just the last three months, right? So what that means is that you have to be sure that your expenses uh, get to the level that we believe they can be and you believe they can be to, uh, to, to get to the best possible NOI. As an example, if you start out with with high payroll, and that's not unusual when you take over a property that you have higher payroll uh, and higher R&M, that you are aware of that if, if that high payroll, let's say 1500 continues to stay in place, the lender is not going to underwrite to, let's say, 1200 right? So if you buy a property where the in-place in uh, owner has a 1500 payroll, we can argue together with your property management company that you can run it at 1200 and we can underwrite to that. But once you own that property, we cannot make that argument, right? Because you are now running that property. Right. And there's the no argument that you suddenly can drop it from 1500 to 1200. So in other words, you need to prove over a period of 12 months that you actually can run it at, at those lower costs. It not necessarily has to be all the whole T12, but you only need to show once the property is stabilized, at least for six, ideally 12 months, but at least six to nine months that you are able to continuously run the property at those expenses, right? So that yeah. is very important because that Absolutely. has an impact on your debt service coverage, which has an impact on your loan proceeds, and it has an impact on your valuation. Yeah, one, one thing that I've learned over the last few years is that even if you have a two or three year time horizon with a bridge loan, you're going to renovate a bunch of units, put a lot of money into amenities, whatever, um, that time starts ticking from day one and you have got to sprint towards your goals because it goes fast. So two years to turn all your units and you've got draw requests and inspections and all of this to prep for that refinance uh, is absolutely critical for anyone listening that you keep your lender involved because they are, you know, someone like, like Anton is going to be a huge ally for you um, in getting those draws out when you run into problem. We ran into a problem with our servicer and exactly that, right? We had to go back um, to, to the person who helped us get a loan and say like, Hey, we, we need help. And we have to escalate this because, you know, they keep changing their requirements on us. We've given them everything they've asked for. And now our draw is three, four months late. And these things happen uh, because, you know, they're for, because of whatever, for whatever reason, but it's something that we as operators have to deal with. That yes, that's, very, that's yeah, that's a very good point. So since we talk about uh, servicing and, and the draws, 
right? Uh, uh, they are good and bad bridge lenders, right? So be aware that just because the terms look great and you get into that loan, the post-closing with the bridge lender is absolutely crucial that it goes smoothly. Uh, there is no bridge lender where it's easy for a borrower, right? They're all pretty tough, right? So this is a it's a tough environment uh, to operate in. Yeah. So so one should not assume that uh, there is a bridge lender that just gives everything that you want, but they are still the good ones that are fair, and then the other ones that are really not fair when it comes to to the handling of of right. draws. So let's talk then any other tips that you have for me as far as I know I'm in this bridge loan. Let's say it's a year out that I'm going to refinance. You know, how, when do we start looking at financials again? Like, should I be sending them to you every month? Like what, what do I do leading up to that refinance point? Yeah. So, so every month is probably at the beginning is, is not necessary. You Mm -hmm. can do it, but it's not necessary. Once you get closer to that stabilization phase and, you, you essentially see as an experienced asset manager, you see ahead of time what, what your timeline would look like. So once you feel, I think we have a chance to refinance within the next uh, roughly 12 months, mm-hmm. that's when it's time for us really to look at the, at the financials and uh, give you advice of where you need to look out for to get, again, primarily on the expense side, but also on the collection side where you need to be to get to the loan proceeds that that you absolutely need, and hopefully uh, additional loan proceeds to have have some form of a cash out. Right. Uh, one uh, important uh, uh, element too is particularly when it comes to R and M. Do not pack R and M with with capex expenditures. Right. Uh, because it's a, it's kind of a pain to clean up your P and L after twelve months of removing all these capital expenditures. It's really much easier to do it properly from the get go. Because every piece of capital expenditures, you may think, well, it lowers my taxes, so it's a good idea, right? Be, uh, if I have him as an operating expense, well, once you come into into the underwriting for a loan that capex is is negatively impacting your NOI, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to think of, of that side too. Uh, and we recommend to clean it up really well ahead of time as you go along rather than having to do it for a whole 12 months afterwards. Yeah, I, I think that if you are going to do a project with heavy capex, um, talk to the lender like day one and understand how we should be accounting for these things. Um, we always put our CapEx below the line. And it's something that actually on a monthly basis, we're reviewing with our property managers of, oh, you know, is this operations? Is, you know, our plumbing expense went up, you know, yeah. doubled this month. You know, okay, is that true operations? Or did we issue a purchase order and it became a capital expenditure and then we can move it below the line? And yes. it's not, yeah. um, you know, you just need to be constantly making sure that those numbers are clean and uh, delineating between a true operations expense or a capital investment is something that uh, we are talking about pretty much every day over here. Yes, that's a, it's a very good point, right? And uh, when you discuss it within a month, everyone remembers what they have done. Correct. Try that after six months or nine months. <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, another point there for me is like we do monthly deep dive financial reviews with all of our property managers and we look at that and I want to look both. I compare the month expenses and income to, to last month, the previous month, but also to our budget and then to our initial underwriting as well. And so we can see where we're 
growing or changing or different. Um, and, and then you can catch that early because to your point, I don't remember and even a great property manager with great uh, accounting and record keeping, you know, might be hard to figure out six months ago, nine months ago, what that plumbing expense was. Was it for a new HVAC? Was it for that big leak in the wall? Or did we just have a lot of little plumbing expenses and, you know, yeah. now we've lost that, that money and, and that knowledge forever. Okay. So Anton, we're going to move towards the end of the show here. Uh, this has been so helpful and I love talking about how we can work together throughout the life cycle of the property because it's so important. And most people I think don't really think about that. You know, we need a loan to get into the property, but what happens after? So this has been very helpful for me and I know for our listeners. Um, so I'm going to ask you to give us your true multifamily tip, but before that, uh, can you please let our audience know how they can find out more about peak financing or you and, and get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, so you can reach me at uh, Anton at peakfinancing.com. Our website is peakfinancing.com. I'm very active on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, right now, the, uh, the new thing everyone is active on is Clubhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. we, are, we are hosting uh, rooms on a regular basis there too, just to- everyone joining us and talking about multifamily. Uh, so that's where, where you will likely find me too. Uh, so that's essentially uh, uh, very easy to reach. I love it. And Anton's uh, links, social, Facebook page, Clubhouse. Is, can, do you have a Clubhouse link? I, I'll be honest, I'm an Android guy, so I don't know Clubhouse yet. Oh, okay. Soon. Yeah. So uh, somehow they don't like Android. Uh, I know. <laughs> well, all, all the links are going to be on our, our website, truemultifamily.show, and you can catch up with Anton there and definitely join him on Clubhouse. I might have to go get an iPhone just to do that. I'm feeling a little left out, to be honest. Uh, but Anton, this is it. Give us your, someone says to you, Anton, I want to get into multifamily investing. What is one piece of advice that you're going to give them? Yes, uh, I think the, uh, the the key advice is focus, right? Focus on a market, fo- focus on an asset type, right? Even within multifamily, decide what you can do and focus on that size and stick to it. What I see too many times, particularly with newcomers, they are chasing that shiny object all over the country, right? They are in Texas, then they're in Florida, they're in Georgia, they're Arizona. Whenever whenever they see something online, they are chasing it. It's not going to work, right? So you lose your complete focus. You don't uh, build relationships with brokers and property managers and other partners on the ground. You will never find a good deal doing that, right? Just focus in, uh, uh, agree with yourself and your partners where you want to go and what you want to do, and then stick to it and go all in in that particular uh, market and segment. I could not agree more. What a great tip. Thank you. Anton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Love this conversation. Appreciate you. And if you guys like this show, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to the show and check out Anton's information at truemultifamily.show. Anton, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Justin. It was great being with you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.